Praise the Lord. Good to have all of you here, and good to have Sister Rachel and the children with us tonight, and uh, especially Reese and Jensen. Jensen got the Holy Ghost this weekend, and um, awesome. And good to have Brother Matt Calhoun. He uh, graduated from Bible school, and he was recruited to stay at Bible school and help, so I know he was part of the cream of the crop. His father pastored up in the northwestern part of, uh, I mean, northeastern part of our state, and um, Brother Matt uh, has been in, involved, and around the ministry all of his life, and yet I know um, that they have four children, which means there's four more chances of one of them being sick or one of them being uh, having an activity. And I, I know that can be overwhelming. And uh, I love this couple. I, have, uh, I miss being able to be around them as much when I know they've got so many irons in the fire with work and working different schedules and trying to keep all these balls up in the air that they're juggling and and uh, but he is a great blessing and they both are and I I don't want to say I can't wait till the children become more self-sufficient but I can't wait till I can get them plugged in even more and see more of them when the children are a little bit older and doing and uh, I miss them but I, I I love them and he has a great love both of them do both Matt and Rachel have a great love for God a love for the people of God love for the word and I I'm excited that he's going to be ministering to us tonight brother Matt come we love you well thank you pastor Four kids is right, four times the chaos, four times the, you know what they say, love multiplies, but time divides, and the amount of time I even get with each one of them, more and more as, the, as they get older and older, I'm seeing it pass, and in, the, in my mind, I still see them, you know, as little boys, and they still are little, but littler, when just when I think I'd want to go back to that phase, I already have Sawyer. And she reminds me that we don't want to go back to that phase. Every stage has highs and lows, goods and, goods and bads. We haven't quite gotten to the teenage years yet, although Ella is kind of trying sometimes to enter the teenage years. But no, it's good to be here. Um, what an environment, you know, with the youth revival for Jensen to feel free. He was here by himself. Um, we had other activities with other kids, and so Reese had something he had to do, and Jensen woke me up at 9 a.m., and rarely did I get to sleep in, but he woke me up at 9 a.m., which I was already up, just not quite out of bed, and he was really excited to get to church. He was really excited to get to a volleyball game after church, but he knew to get to that volleyball game, he had to get to church first, and so my phone blew up probably around... I forget, maybe it was 10, 30, 11. And uh, this is with pictures of him praying. 
And, uh, and I'm thankful to be able to have, I knew he was in good hands when he's here. And he was able to feel comfortable to go up and pray. He told everybody at school that he got the Holy Ghost. And his buddies now were teasing him. And he got possessed by God. <laughs> and and that's, that's what happened. Absolutely. Christ in me. And so I, uh, I'm going to talk about that a little bit tonight. And um, boy, I tell you what, and the Lord just moving on a lot of young people, you know, and little um, Landon that was, came up and had something on his heart and then ended up preaching about it. And I was going to preach on faith, but I figured y'all would think I was just copying. So I just changed my notes. But I watched something Sunday night and I didn't ask Sabrina if I could say this, but I don't, I think she'd be okay with it. But you know, I've seen Landon for years, you know, when it's altar time. Um, he, he makes it to the altar, eventually, and he, he might be getting drug up there. He might be getting chased, and there's been times I've been the one who chased him. Sometimes I've had to block the aisle and run interference. And I watched something Sunday night that was so precious when little Landon grabbed his mom by the hand. And I watched him bring her to the altar. And the sensitivity after seeing them. I'm in the back sound room on Sunday night. That means I see everything that comes and goes from the altar. And to see the switch in that little boy. And so what, a, what an awesome opportunity it is for our youth, for young people, and for us to continue to grow. We have an apostolic legacy, but we have the Holy Ghost inside of us. Something that God has given us to walk in daily, to be affected by daily. And without that, where would we be? And I'm going to talk a little bit about that process. And I want to talk about it from a perspective that I find incredibly fascinating. Because part of my job requires me to uh, design and develop medical devices. And so the concept of God as a creator has always fascinated me. There's, there's been rarely a time when I wasn't able to really just sit down, think, and really, even if I was not necessarily had my mind on God or, or godly things, I could always sit and think about the creation. How, how complex the body is. It's one thing to give us some wood and some cloth and some foam and I've got tools and I could make maybe a chair. Now I'm not a craftsman so my chair would not look like this chair. It's another thing if you think about carpet. Okay we can you know, mass produce fibers and we can and all of those things those are things that I work with. Very material things. Very put, take this part, put this piece to design this. But a living human with a conscience, with a mind, with its own thoughts. How thoughtful of a creation that had to be. How mindful God would be. And so I'm going to read in Psalms 139. Um, all my scriptures are in the Amplified. So I don't know if that helps you at all. They all will be there. Um, Apparently, I needed to cover more time. So if you want to read uh, longer, if you need longer time when you're reading, go to the Amplified. It'll make it easier but longer. If you want it to be easier, just NIV. And if you want me to mess up a lot of words, then we'll use the King James. 
But let's do, let's do the Amplified. So this is David. Psalms chapter 139. We're going to start at verse 13. David had a heart and had an ability um, to really ponder some of the deep things of God um, while still understanding human frailty um, at some of its worst levels. Have you ever just thought about, read some of David's Psalms and you think, wow, how could I possibly attain? And it's a good thing we don't judge ourselves with, amongst ourselves because then you, you know what David's done and things that he's been through. And I think that's what adds to some of his depth of knowledge of God and some of his poetry and how he words this. And so he's contemplating that God is the creator and he says, for you formed my innermost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Imagine this, you kind of creating me, forming me, just that you put me together as I was in my mom's stomach. In verse 14, I will give thanks and praise to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being formed in secret, and intricately and skillfully formed, as if embroidered with many colors in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were, were all written the days that were appointed for me, when as yet, there was not one of them even taken shape. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The, the, the sheer majesty of he's talking about how, how in depth, in David, multiple verses, and multiple psalms, David talks about how he was formed, how, how, how when I consider all that you've done, and how, how is man that you are mindful of me. Like, David understands this from a design perspective. And he goes on and he says, you have a, you, that your thoughts for me would outnumber the sand. That's a lot of thoughts. And even if he wasn't being literal, I didn't take time to figure out how many grains of sand are, are, are on the planet. But do you know how many grains of sand, if we were to ask Alexa right now, how many grains of sand are in a cup? I'm, I'm not talking if you count the beaches or just one beach or, or the deserts or just one desert. If you were to take one cup of sand. These are your thoughts for me. Alexa told me there were two million grains of sand in one cup. That's a lot of thoughts. Like if you had me talk about some of the people in my life who I love most, my wife Rachel, who I'm not allowed to say how beautiful she is, because last time I did I got in trouble. Who would think that you'd get in trouble for saying how beautiful your wife was? She said, well that's all they're going to think you're interested in. So in my now 42 years old understanding the depth of our relationship, what a great mother she is, and what a wonderful helper, and how we work together so well. Not my, not my young 28-year-old mind that would have just said she's beautiful. Now that I understand the depth of that, I could start putting some grains of sand. She's a wonderful mother. You know, she's a great housekeeper. She's, she's really... Great help me, you know, boy, she, she, she's very smart. She's very, how many grains of sand could I get 
I mean, I'd have to throw at the beautiful one. But eventually, I would get to a point where, I, well, she's got a wonderful mother and father. Um, let's see here. She's okay driver. And I would have to start getting to a point because I would run out of things. But David said that his thoughts for me are like the sand. And even if it was just a cup, that means God's got two million thoughts of you. And you probably can't think of a hundred thoughts like that off of the person that you love most. That's powerful. That's love. That's a designer who had a lot of intention, a lot of thought, a lot of plan. And if you're questioning, does God care? I promise you this, that as a designer, as someone who's developed, as someone who's invented, no one cares about you more than God cares about you. No one's interested in your well-being more than God is interested in your well-being. No one cares about your family as much as God cares about your family. Are you convinced that no one cares about you as much as God cares about you? All right, we're convinced. I can call it a day. I don't need to preach the rest of this, right? We're convinced. No one cares about me. This is how I know. And this is how I'm convinced because I've, I have created things, rudimentary, small things, things that literally are, are, are so simplistic in nature. But I know those things. I know every detail. I know every dimension. I know every tolerance, every specification. Rachel will tell you, I can't remember yesterday what we talked about. But you may bring up projects from 10 years ago, and I could tell you what the hole was supposed to be drilled at. Why? Because I created it. Because I'm the one who invented it. I'm the one who tried a hole that might be slightly bigger and realized it didn't work. I'm the one who tried something smaller and realized that wasn't going to work, and I found exactly what the specification needed to be because I'm the one that created it. When I wrote the instructions for people and how to develop and how them to make it, because I can't be the one making it, I'm just developing it. When I wrote the instructions for people to do it, what I realized is no matter how good of instructions I wrote, situations were come up where somebody didn't understand the specification that I set forth. There was a manufacturer or a production worker that it was something was too complicated or something was not spelled out enough. And I know this because I could look at a part quickly and say, that wasn't made correctly. Someone didn't follow the instructions. Why? Because I'm the one that designed it. I'm the one that knows better than anybody else. I know if it can fail. I know how it's going to fail. I know when it's going to fail. Those are all the intentions that I put into a design when I'm working on a device. That's my thought. That's my plan. That's how much God knows you. That he knows the innards. He knows the outers. He knows your thoughts. He knows the intents of the heart. He knows all these things. And he did this, David says, before he ever even formed us. Before we were ever even born. Your days were numbered before you were ever born. So I know that God loves me. I know that he's there. And I know that he's created me, but I got to tell you, sometimes I want to ask when I look at my own life and my own self, well, God, why did you create me with this law? And it's a real question that we ask ourselves. Why or why did this 
have to happen in the design process? Why did I, why did this have to, why did this situation, why, why can't I just seem to get this? What's, what is my hang up with this? And so in all of the design process, I will tell you that there's something that we learn very, very quickly, and it's called design constraints. That they could make cars to run 500,000 miles. They could make cars run longer. They could make, but there are design constraints. Cost, time. Cost is usually the big one. I'll tell you, as a designer, the one thing that I always struggle with is, is time as well because it, nothing's ever good enough. Nothing's ever quite where you need it to be. Um, with the advances of 3D printing, I, I don't know that it's helped us at all. It's kind of more slowed things down because rather than just really having to be diligent about every change you make, you can make 100 changes and try 100 different parts overnight. You can make these parts. and So nothing's ever perfect. But there's time constraint. Something's got to. There's a point whenever your boss gets tired of waiting for you. So there's a time constraint. But there's constraints in every. Look at Amazon. Go to go to your Amazon cart and you're looking at your your part that your your piece that you want to buy your your widget and you go look and you're trying to decide between widget A and widget B. And so what do you do? You go to the reviews, right? What part has a straight five-star review? If it's sold more than, more, than, more than two, good chances it's not going to have a five-star review, right? There's going to be some, and usually I go right for the ones because I want to see how critical somebody could be. I'm looking for buzzwords, especially if it comes to shoes. I've had to buy some shoes lately online because I've got plantar fasciitis. I know it's an old folk disease and I've got it. And I started looking around talking to my friends and we're talking about our ailments and I realized we're getting old. And, and this is what we talk about now apparently. So I get it. And I've had to buy some shoes lately. So, you know, trying to look online, trying to look at reviews and I look for those one stars because I want to see who's being real, real critical about these shoes. What, you know, are, are they picking apart some of the same thing, things that I'm picking apart? Are they concerned about some of the same things? Every restaurant, I, I don't think you see many five-star Google-rated restaurants. There's always going to be somebody that didn't like what you did. There's always going to be some level of constraints. Perfection is a really hard, hard metric to meet and to follow. But they say, Hater, haters going to hate. You know, and now you got to verify the reviews because bots will go in and Brother Matt and I were talking about the new chat bot. This, um, and you can type in, I, I saw a writer, and uh, it was last week I watched this, and he said you can go into this chat bot, and you can type in, you can ask it questions, and it would reply, I mean, like it's a human. It's AI. It's artificial intelligence. It'll reply almost like it's a human. So it, it asked it to write a, a four-page paper, on some topic, and this, this writer happened to be the expert on that topic, and he said, I gotta tell you, he said, after a four-page paper that it spit out about 30 seconds it took, he said, I wouldn't be able to tell you that it wasn't me that did it. He said, that's how, how eerily close it was when I asked about this specific subject, this specific topic, and how, where I wanted it to focus. And so we, you know, asking it questions. And I read the article that I read then about it said that it's, it's picked up so much of the chatter that's online and so much of the negativity. And it was starting to, it was starting to influence the chatbot. 
And don't worry, Brother Matt and I decided we weren't going to try to get our sermons off the chat bot. But it, it's got its, resor- its limited resources. Garbage in, garbage out. It's basically like, remember Ask Jeeves in the 90s? It's the same principle. They just got better at regurgitating the information. So it's, it's, there's a design, even in our artificial intelligence, as great as it's come, there's still these design limits as what's been put in and what you're getting out. And so we've heard many people, how, how do we explain the concept of this God all-loving, all-knowing, all all-powerful, creating this object but yet I still feel imperfect. How do, how do, I, how do I wrap my head? How, how do I understand the inherent flaws that I have inside of me that I'm trying to overcome? God, why have you made me this way? And the Lord took me through some of the design elements and the love that he has for me, the design process. And he talked, to, talk, talked about the constraints. And in my mind, I kept going over some of these and one of the things, the tools that we use significantly with 3D printing in prototyping is this 3D printing. And if you're not familiar with 3D printing, I'm going to do my best to explain what it is. But you're basically able to print with material in 3D, thus 3D printing. But imagine like a printer, this piece of paper right here. This is two-dimensional. One dimension, two-dimension. So it's two-dimensional. A printer will print. We've all seen many printers. They'll print in ink and they'll print... Well, imagine you were going to print a, just a square. So the ink just does a square. But now you laid another piece of paper on top of it, and you did another square. And another one, and another one, and another one. That's what 3D printing is. And it's very simple. It lays down material. It melts plastic or other materials. It'll lay down it. And whatever shape you, des- you design in 3D, it will create. But it starts with a base layer. And then the next layer. And then the next layer. So these tiny, tiny, thin layers of plastic continue to grow on top of each other. One layer, two layer, three layer. These can take hours. So these can take, I mean, I've got things on the printer right now that won't be done. We started them today. They won't be done uh, tomorrow. Maybe they'll be done Friday. That's how long some of these can take because it's a slow process. Layer by layer by layer by layer. And it's mesmerizing. You can watch a video of just a 3D printer and it's, they're mesmerizing. When we sit in my office and we're talking, a lot of times we'll just, I've got a really large one. It's about this big and can do really large uh, prints. And sometimes we'll just be talking about it. The next thing you know, we'll just go and just watch it. They're fascinating. They're fascinating to watch. But there's something that happens when you've designed something specifically for 3D printing. It's something you have to watch out for. So imagine we're printing our square. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But let's say what it's not actually a square. Let's say we're doing something with a big overhang, like a big T, right? But we're printing a T like this. If we keep building and building and building and building and building, eventually there comes a point when we have to span out on the top. But as you're laying the plastic, and I hope I'm not losing you on this because it's a really fundamental thing with 3D printing that I'm pretty psyched about. I don't know if you are, but I am. So it has this overhang, and if you were to just try to print out into space, it wouldn't work. Because if you're just build, 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 and all of a sudden you have to go out and do what's called an overhang, the, the plastic's just going to ooze out onto the bed. It's gonna, there's nothing supporting it below it. So you have to build support materials. So the first time I ever did this and realized... I'm like, you mean so we're going to waste like a ton of material? 
Like, we're literally going to burn material. So you will build the, the piece that you want, and right next to it, you're building support material. And you're building material that's building up and building up so that it has the overhang when you need it. The overhang is there, and it, and it can continue printing like nothing's ever was wrong. And then when your part's done, you take your support material, and you know what you do? You break it off, and you discard it. There's a biblical principle that there are some things in our lives that are literally meant to just support other things and they will be discarded. There are literally things that are considered waste that God has placed in our lives. Okay, I see. Okay, I'm, I'm going to read it here. Let's go to Romans chapter 9, verse 19. So he says this, he says, this is, where, this is Paul, and he's talking about the potter. And he says, so then he has mercy on whom he wills, chooses, and he hardens the heart of whom he wills. This is God, has the ability to do this. You will say to me then, why does he still blame me for sinning? For who, including myself, has ever resisted his will and purpose? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers arrogantly back to God and dares to defy him? Why have you made me this way, right? Will the thing which is formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me this, like this? Does the potter not have the right over the clay to make the same lump of clay, one, of object, um, one object of honorable use, something beautiful or distinctive, and another for common use, something ordinary or menial? Guess what? The same plastic that's used in cereal bowls is used in bedpans. You know who had the right to pick? The designer had the right to pick. Just as the potter has the right over the clay, so does the designer have the right to choose. So does God have the right to choose? We say, well, that's not fair. Okay, let's keep going. Imagine if you're designing a part or, you know, if you're, you have the, the right to do this, the ability to do this. You're going to pick the right material, the right part, the right everything, everything you need. If that part were to speak back to you, or let's say you're molding and you're, you're shaping something out of clay. I remember in eighth grade, I had a project and it was clay. And man, I, I loved working with clay. But as I was doing this, and the, the kids know what part I'm talking about. I still have it at the house. It's this container, this triangle container. And I just thought I was so cool. I was into wizards at the time. So I put like a wizard's face like right in the front. Didn't show my dad because I'm sure he would have been upset about a wizard. You know, it was the 80s. You know, we didn't allow wizards and churches and stuff. And uh, so I had this wizard, and his beard came around, and it formed into a dragon that was breathing fire, and it was forming into the beard. You know, I just thought it was so cool. And in my head, this was really cool until about six years ago when my mom actually, like, I got it back from my mom because she was clearing out the house and didn't want any of my stuff anymore. And it didn't look near as cool as I thought it would. Uh, I thought it did in my head. But imagine if while I'm forming this clay, the clay says to me, I don't want to be the, the, beard, the, the wizard's beard. No, shut up, clay. I get to decide what we're going to do. So us asking and, and, and getting this attitude arrogant with God is kind of like, you know, what, what right does the clay have to say to anybody? Why are you making me this way? And so we go on into verse uh, 22. What if God, although willing to show his terrible wrath and to make his power known, has tolerated the great patience, tolerated with great patience, the object of his wrath, prepared for destruction? 
the support material has been allowed. It's kind of like the, the wheat and tares that have been allowed to grow together. So he's allowed the objects of his wrath. And then verse 23 says, And what if he has done so just to make known the riches of his glory to the objects of his mercy? which he has prayed beforehand for his glory. God has things in our lives, things in our relationships, things that ultimately are of his wrath that he's not pleased with, but he's allowing for a reason and for a purpose. It's so that when they finally are discarded, it's so that he gets glory. When they're finally discarded, we see that they were there and they were there to prop up the objects of his mercy, the objects of his affection. He's allowing them and to exist for a reason. He allows the things to happen for a reason. Does it change the hurt? No. Does it change the pain? No. Does it change the frustration? No. Do you understand as, as the 3D printer prints in the layers, as I see them, I already know what I'm going to throw away. I already know it's going to be ripped from the actual part. But without it, the part that I needed would never be built. The part that I needed wouldn't have the support, wouldn't have the ability. Sometimes we look at the, the, the issues and, our, and our, our afflictions and our pains as these things that God needs to clear, that God needs to get rid of. But the reality is, is if we could see through God's eyes and through the designer's eyes, is that sometimes he's allowing it specifically so that it can prop us up for something better, for something different, for a deeper walk, for a deeper relationship, to know him more. The objects of his wrath, the hurt, the pain, the suffering. And as I'm talking to this church, I know I'm talking to people that feel that. I know I'm talking to people that understand that on a different level than even I do. As I sit and I see with my family and every night I pray, God, keep us safe. God, protect us. Lord, but your will be done. And the whole time secretly I'm fearful because I see God's will being done in this church. And sometimes it doesn't feel good. To see some of the things, to see the objects of his wrath, to see things that he's not pleased with, but he allows for a purpose, for a reason, simply so that we can be the objects of his affection. Because we are those objects of his affection. We want perfection without suffering, we want the resurrection without the fellowship of his suffering and without the death. And it doesn't exist. Philippians 3.10 says in this, and this is Paul's scripture. I've used this part of the scripture a lot and I've prayed this prayer a lot. And I went on and kept reading in the, in the rest of the scripture and it says, in this, so that I may know him, experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. In the same way, experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows in his active in believers. And that's, oh, the power of his resurrection. There's moments when we really want this, oh, the power is, oh, the resurrecting power. We're going to run with fire. I would, I would, but all I had was fire in my heel. So I'm going I'm to walk with pain and fire. I don't know. But that's, 
the power of his resurrection, it's, it's a huge, it's, it's, it, for me, it's been a monumental verse. I pray, Lord, that I might know you in the power of your resurrection. But he said, go on and keep reading. And that I may share the fellowship of his suffering. There's no power of resurrection unless there's fellowship of suffering. There is no Christianity without the cross. And any, anyone who tells you otherwise is, is, well, they're not teaching you what the Bible says. I've li I like to listen to a lot of preachers and different preachers. And when I'm on my walk, I'll listen to some different preachers. And I'll tell you what, if I hear the word destiny one more time or increase and in blessing one more time, every time I hear it now, it's almost like this instant jerk reaction because it seems that we've lost the cross we've lost the bearing our cross pick up our cross follow him deny ourselves follow him because we want the power of the resurrection but I'll tell you what when we get the fellowship of his suffering and we think we've done something wrong what have, what have we done God he's allowing this for a purpose. He's allowing it for a reason. Because the design, as we see it, is not finished. We see right now. We see this moment. We're only capable of understanding God with, the ability, with what we have in our mind. We only recognize the things of God by, by our own, by things that we've able, like for example, I, I know this carpet is green because I've seen greenish things before. Somebody's going to say it's blue, but it's green. I know it's green because I've seen green before. I, I, have, I have something to recall on. But that's why he said he can do things above what we ask or think. Because the things that I can think are so limited. My ability to question God is only so limited. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There's something beyond my thought. His ways are higher than my ways as the heavens are. There's something about my, uh, my lacking ability to see. See, once they made the first car, or even let's say the Model T came off the line, no one thought, that's it. We're done. No more cars needed. The first phone, the first website ever, the first computer, the first... And there were many times in my life that I could have said, well, this is as good as it's going to get. This is as far as I'm going to go. This is it. But what we see is not the final product. I want to read Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. I'll tell you what, let's skip that for time's sake. I'm going to talk. All right, Pastor said read it anyway. So if we're here till 8.05, that's your, his fault. I told him I was so worried I didn't have enough time, and here we are. So, Hebrews chapter 6. I, I should have said I was worried I didn't have enough time to fill, or enough information to fill, because, um, anyway, no, I, I, I'm going to hurry. All right. Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, let us get past the elementary stage in the teaching about Christ, advancing on to maturity and perfection and spiritual completeness, doing this without laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith towards God. There's a point when 
As a child, I spoke like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things, the Bible said. If we're constantly having to go back to the repentance, constantly having to go back to the very beginning, it's time to grow on past maturity. It's time to go on in the continual walk. And I know who I'm talking to today, so I'll talk to all of us. I'll talk to myself included. It's time to, to get past some of these questions and just move on with what? Okay, next scripture. Uh, verse 2 said, Of teaching, of washings, purifications, and laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are all important matters in which you should have been proficient long ago. And we will do this if God permits. So God's will be done. There's something about the discipline that comes with discipleship. The discipline that comes along the way. The understanding. The, 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 what we're asking for about the imperfection in the design. My, my parents had this way of doing this horrible thing. That whenever I was about to get punished... The first thing they would tell me is, you asked for this. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 mom, no, dad. I, by my actions, I asked for it. Right. By my lack of care or my la lack of attention, I asked for it. And Hebrews chapter 12 verse 8 says, Now if you are exempt from correction and without discipline, in which all of God's children share, then you're an illegitimate child. And you're not sons at all. God chastens those whom he loves. He allows things for those that he loves. Even if it's frustrating. Even if it's exhausting. And then Romans chapter 8 verses 18. Because you've got to ask yourself. What will this weakness produce? What will this discipline produce? And this is the thought process that we have because we can only recall things based on our ability to think. So we will try to think through what the reason is. We'll try to think through God's plan. And God will rarely answer prayers in the fashion and the way that you prayed them. I find that God seldom if ever has answered a prayer of mine in the way that I thought he was going to answer it. Because in my thought process, I was limiting God in what he could do. But he can go above and beyond what I can ask and what I can think. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18 For I consider, let me see here. So my amplified Bible might be a little different than yours, but I'm going to read what I've got here on my paper. For I consider from the standpoint of faith that the suffering of the present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us. For even the whole creation, all nature, waits eagerly for the children of God to be revealed. It's a process. For the creation was subject to frustration and futility, not willingly, because of some intentional fault on its part, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. Subjected to this and hope, and here's the hope, that the creation itself will also be freed from its bondage to decay and gain entrance into a glorious freedom of the children of God. 
There was a perfect design that was created from the beginning. And when man sinned, a part of that design took over. And there was subjected in hope because God had a plan. Because I guarantee you, if life was perfect, you couldn't handle it anyway. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden. And at the thought of being like God, they lost it all. You'll be as wise as God. Okay, I'll, I'm going to show you a verse. If you don't believe me, we're going we're to read Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, this is Paul talking about, because of the surpassing greatness and extraordinary nature of the revelations which I received from God for this reason, to keep me from thinking of myself as important. I, all kinds of mysteries have been revealed to Paul. But so that he doesn't think of himself of anything important. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to torment and harass me. To keep me from exalting myself. Why? Because I would be like God. Perfect. Knowing all. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And we know this part, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. This is where that amplified is adding some stuff here. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough, always available, regardless of the situation, for my power is being perfected and is completed and shows itself more effectively in your weakness. So I will boast, glad, gladly boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may be completely enfold, may completely enfold me and dwell in me. So I am well pleased with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, and with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak in human strength, then I am strong, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. There is a built-in weakness and the resistance that we feel for it is different because it's there for a purpose. And it's propping up what God wants to do. And this is my last scripture. I know I'm scripture heavy tonight. This is my last scripture. Romans 8, 28. And we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all, causes all things to work together as a plan for good. For those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and purpose. For those whom he foreknew. We're talking about when he began to create us. For those he foreknew and loved and chose beforehand. He also predestined. This was planned. To be conformed. And this is where the weakness is made perfect. To be conformed to the image of his son. And ultimately share in his complete sanctification. So that he would be the firstborn, the most beloved and honored among many believers. And those he predestined, 
he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified, declared free from the guilt of sin. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, raising them to a heavenly dignity. He saw it before there was even substance to see, a mess to perfection. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The perfection that he's seeking is not of us. He made a way for us to be perfect by Christ in us. Through the mess and through the pain and through the frustration, he's building Christ in us. And although it's hurtful and it's painful and it's hard, Christ in us is the goal. Because we're not going to be spoiled children. We're not going to be arrogant or proud because we're the objects of his affection. Where everything that he's put his heart into, everything he's put his mind into, he put everything into us and knit us together in our mother's womb. He thought of us before our parents ever met. He had already numbered our days. This is the God that we serve. This is the reason for the defect that you feel, for the design defect. This is the reason for the heart because without it, I want to be as wise as God. But with it, I need God. Every day I need God, that I may know him in his resurrection, that I may know him, but then he says, but are you willing to fellowship with me in my suffering? God bless this church for the many prayers, for the many thoughts, for the people that have gone on before, before me, for the prayers for my family, for the prayers for pastors. Because the goal is always this, Christ formed in us. Everything that, will they see Christ in me? Well, on my last day, when y'all are at my funeral, and I want lots of tears, folks. This rejoicing funerals, I don't know. I kind of want y'all to be a little sad. A little sad. But if you did a forensic analysis of my life, would we say that, wow, Christ was formed in us? Christ was formed in us. And we've seen a lot of funerals this year of people who Christ was formed in them. That's, that's the legacy that I have because that's the design. That's why I was created. That's the purpose. Amen. God bless you. God bless the church, Pastor. Love ya. See, eight oh three. There you go. Great, great, great word. Powerful word. I. I was thinking, you know, after the Lord cleansed all the world and got rid of all the heathens, then Noah got drunk. Couldn't take the pressure. I was actually talking to someone, Sister Susan's not up here, but I was talking to someone today about Brother Larry and the helplessness and the hopelessness that he felt after having lost both of his children, and yet he had an amazing going away home service of family. My grandchildren will almost without a doubt, weekly, but I would say almost daily, say something about him now. What are you saying? 
I couldn't help those things. Those were not good things. Those were suffering things. But it formed something in them. And it formed a connection with them. And I know not only have I probably complained about my natural ability and my God-given stuff, but often I've shaken my fist at the things that have happened to me and not realize that that could be forming something in me. And I watched as even the loss of his two boys, his only two children, he had an adopted daughter, but how that formed a connection with all of our family. What a powerful testimony that it formed Christ in him. What a privilege. We don't like that. I don't want to talk about that. I want it to be all light and good and wonderful. I don't want to go through anything. I don't want to suffer. But you know what? The Lord's doing something. Hallelujah. I've got to remember that. Let's stand. Let's thank the Lord for his word. What a great...